Welcome to Valley Christian Church. We hope you enjoy this message, and we would love for you to join us on Sunday mornings at 1030. We're located at 432 East Pleasant in Tulare. After listening to this message, take a moment to browse our website for current and upcoming events. It is our prayer that ultimately you learn to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This morning we're going to kind of cover the perspective from from the wise men. And as as we look at society today, and and I think you would agree with me on this, you know, and actually throughout history, every generation tends to think that they're a lot smarter than the previous generation. Now, in some ways, that is true. Just because there's so much more information out there. Um, They say that we receive more information in one day than back in biblical times that they did in their whole entire lifetime. So in a sense, we are a little smarter just because there's more stuff to understand. Uh, Or we have more knowledge. I don't know about smarter because, yeah, anyway. But we tend to feel like that. We're progressing to the point where we feel smarter especially when it comes to science and reasons. The things that we were taught yesterday no longer considered truth. Right now, did you know they're debating on whether Pluto is a planet? Now, when I went to school, and when all you guys mostly went to school, that was, I mean, that was taught. That's the way it is. Well, now they're having a big debate. Is it a rock just floating around out there, or is it a planet? Uh, Now, does it really matter to us? No, but they debate this stuff. But it's amazing. You, you, You couple science and reason together. And we feel that we can reason and understand everything. It's amazing what we use today. You know, as a child, uh, in our household, uh, the remote had a name. And its name was Alan. Hey, Alan, can you go change that channel? We had 13 channels. Hey, Alan, can you go cha- change it back? No, no. Okay, go back. Okay, stay there. Okay, that's good. Now, now, now come back and sit down. That's what I did as a child. 13 channels. Now, when's the last time you saw a TV with 13 channels on it? Now we can't get away from a channel, I mean a TV that has 200 channels on it. And there's still nothing on, but that's a whole other thing. But now, actually, I can use my phone, my smartphone, to actually change the channels of my TV. I mean, I don't even need the remote, I can just do it off my phone. I mean, it's just crazy. Do you remember, uh, for those that are probably a little, you know, my age, a little older, a little younger, but the Atari... 1976, I still have an old Atari uh, gaming system. It's awesome. You know, Pac-Man and, and Frogger and Pong. I mean, it was considered revolutionary. Uh, the graphics were just amazing back then. And we'd look at it, we'd just kind of laugh and go, what's that? I mean, it was, it's, think about it as the Wii of the 1970s. You know, the, all the craze with the Wii and the amazing stuff that the Wii, uh, you know, computer games could do, you know? The first computer I had had a five-inch screen, and it glowed this eerie green. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Yeah, it's, it's about the green of, of Tanya's you know, sweater over here. You know, it's that bright, you know. And my first computer that Lisa and I bought, oh, man, it was 1994. Just gotten married, and she had to finish her master's degree so we bought a computer so she so actually she wrote out our stuff longhand and I always say I did her master's because I typed it into the computer that thing had eight megabytes of memory wow I mean that's like a penny today you know you know how pennies just get tossed around eight megabytes is nothing I mean my phone has 16 gigabytes of memory I mean it just puts it to shame 
You know the iPhone has more memory on it than what it took to get us to the moon? Think about that for a second. I mean, technology has progressed amazingly so. In society, we feel like we're progressing forward. And you go back into the history books and, and you, know, you will find that right before World War I, society also felt like this. Science and reason were seen to, uh, you know, as, as a way to solve all our problems. But then everything changed at World War II. And the reason is two things happened. Right about that time, the Titanic was built. And you all know what happened there. I mean, they thought, this thing, this thing will never sink. It's the best ship of the world. It's indestructible. It was a major shock to society that it sunk. And then in World War II, I mean, World War I, as people felt the, uh, that once this world war was over, it would solve all problems. Well, yeah, that worked out, didn't it? Yeah. Because if we could just reason it, we could progress. And if you study history, you'll find out that almost every society feels this way at one point or another. And, and we learn one thing. Man's logic, man's knowledge, and man's understanding can't save us from destroying ourselves. In the end, it will not work. Only God can save us. Only God can save us from destroying ourselves. In the time that Jesus was born, there was a group of men who were using their reason and knowledge, their position in, to, in society to, to achieve things on a religious level, and, but they completely missed it when God actually showed up. They knew everything there was to know about the Scriptures. They had it down backwards and forwards and up and down and every which way. They knew the Scriptures, knew everything there was to, to know about the Old Testament law and following that law, and they also knew how to break that law or or bend the rules a little bit, but they knew the law. They studied the Word more than anything else. And then God showed up, and they completely missed it. And then what happened was this group of people who weren't even Jews, this group of people who who weren't necessarily looking for the Messiah, showed up on the scene. It was a group of people who understood reason, because they had been trained by the best. In fact, as you, you know, we, we've been going through the Daniel series, and we'll continue that after we get through the Christmas season, but Daniel would have been one of these guys 500 years back before this. They took their reason, and they combined it with this mystical stuff. Now, Daniel had been taught in all this, but he knew the true uh, mystical. You know, he knew the true maker. He knew the creator himself. He knew that all things came from God. Now, all these other guys, they were trained in all this, but they didn't know the Creator in a sense. But they took reasoning and combined it with this this stuff, and they had a broad sense of the universe. They showed up on the scene and met God when the religious ones totally missed out. Turn to Matthew 2 this morning, and and, uh, we're going to be reading out of Matthew 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw a star in the east, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. Yeah, they were disturbed too, because they knew what happened when King Herod got mad. He killed people. They were disturbed. When he had called together all the chief priests and the teachers of the law, he asked them, Where is this Christ to be born? 
In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers rulers of Judah. For out of you will come a ruler who will be shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi and secretly and found out from, from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for this child. As soon as you find him, report to me, so that I may go there and worship him also. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star had been seen in the east and went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child was with Mother Mary, with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, of incense, and of incense, and of myrrh. And having been warned in the dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Now remember Daniel and the whole dream thing. I mean, they really believed in these dreams. So God is using something that they believed in to tell them something. When they had gone, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. So they got up, they took the child and his mother during the night and left for Egypt. We're talking immediately. There was no, oh, let's stop the paper, let's get everything settled. and so. No, that night they left. Where they, uh, let's see, so he got up, took the child and the mother during the night and left for Egypt where he had stayed until the death of Herod. As so was fulfilled what the Lord had said to the prophet, Out of Egypt I called my son. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious. I bet he was. He was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were two years old and under, in accordance with the time he had learned from the Magi. Then what it was said through the prophet Jeremiah was fulfilled. A voice is heard in Ramah, weeping in great mourning, Rachel weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted because they are no more. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in the dream uh, to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take a child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who are trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard the, he heard the guy that was in charge was reigning in Judea in place of the father Herod, he was afraid to go there. Having been warmed in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee and went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So was fulfilled what was said through the prophets, he will be called a Nazarene. So these guys show up on the foot, you know, on the doorstep of Jesus. After Jesus uh, was born, he, he'd lived for a couple of years, and these guys show up. And, and, and we talked about last week that, you know, a couple of years had gone by before uh, the Magi, and they followed the star for a while uh, to get there. It wasn't just like, oh, they saw a star one night, and they left, and they were there the next day. I mean, they, it, was a, it was a journey. It was a process uh, for them. It took them two years to come and see Jesus. The reality is that, that, Moses, uh, that Moses, Joseph and Mary uh, decided to stay in Bethlehem. We don't know why they stayed in Bethlehem. Maybe they met you know, some good friends or whatever, but they made their home in Bethlehem. 
So these guys didn't, you know, show up at the manger scene like we like to, to think about it. You know, all the manger sets that I get I always have three little wise men. Well, they weren't there. So part of me says, take them out. And the other part of me says, well, it doesn't really matter that much as long as you teach people the right way. But these guys, you know, they show up at this house after following the star. And the Greek word here is technon, meaning small child. And this is the word that they would have used to describe Jesus. He was a small boy at this time. So the question is, who are these guys? What is a magi? Well, a magi is a, is a holy man that was looked at in society as a holy man of great wisdom who, come, who came out of the Persian Empire. At this point, the, you know, the Persian Empire is under Roman control. It's almost like the Wild West. It's a wild frontier out there. It's, it's you know, like California was in, in the days during the gold rush and stuff. There's really nobody in charge. That's kind of how Persia was. Roman was, was in charge, but they didn't have enough troops to spread out to, to really be in charge. So it's this kind of wild area out there at this point. The Magi typically came out of Babylon. And they were incredible scholars in the, in the days of Jesus. And they had all sorts of wisdom, not only from books, but from the, you know, they were star guy, uh, stargazers. And, and they would understand the sky and they would be able to predict, predict different days and different things happening. And they were also interpreted dreams and mysteries like Daniel in the book of Daniel that we've been talking about. In fact, most of the people were, were sort of scared of them. Uh, they were kind of the, to use a modern term for today, kind of like the wizards. You know, somebody goes, well, I'm a wizard. You'd be like, that's just odd, just okay get away from me just you're kind of odd you know well back then they were they were looked at as a little more prestigious but they were still afraid of them they traveled usually in in groups of 30 to 400 so we we always think three wise men because there was three gifts no they probably had kind of this caravan going we don't know how large it doesn't say it doesn't allude to it but we do know that that uh, they traveled together most of the time um, you know, reality is it's probably a lot more like a caravan. And, and they came to worship, uh, worship Jesus. And they weren't even Jews, but they came to worship him. Now, why would you go and worship another king? Why, why worship? Something is going on here that is so different from anything else they'd ever experienced in their life. And they had to go see it. It was more powerful than just giving a gift. It was more powerful than just showing up with your, your gold and frankincense and myrrh and saying, here you go, and leaving. It was so unique that they packed up their camels. They packed up their families. And they traveled all the way from Babylon to find out where this king was so they could worship him. So the question comes to, you know, starts to form. How do they even know to come? And you really have to go back to the beginning to, to answer this question and get a sense of it. In ancient times, Israel came you know, into the promised land from Egypt. And after three to four hundred years in, in the promised land, they wanted a, a, a king. And so you know, they, they got Saul. And then you got David and you got many others. And you know, God just continually provided for them. But with King David, let me, let me talk about him for a second. He always turned his heart toward God, even when he messed up. He would just totally mess it up big time. He would blow it completely. But he always turned back toward God. And God called him a man after God's own heart. And out of the line of David, a king would be born. And this was in about 1000 BC. So the people would look and search David's lineage. And and these 
Magi would know about this because Daniel was taken from this. So, you know, all these Israelites, all these Jews go to, go to Babylon and, and they, some of them keep their heritage. So they start talking about these stories and that this great king is going to be born and out of the line of David. So, so these Magi would incorporate that into their knowledge of the world. So this is where they're, they're, they're you know, coming to find out the reason why they know, would even know to look for a king. And this is where the Magi started. The mysteries of God have always, always been around. So the Lord, you know, allowed some of, the, some of them to understand some of these things. So these guys who were not Jews at all, but they had learned from Daniel and the other boys. They had an idea of, the, of searching for the Messiah because they had heard it from him. So these guys studied all this stuff. And then one night, they look up into the sky and they see something that, that just didn't happen naturally. Something that, that may have even happened naturally, but they didn't even know about. And, and there's all sorts of, uh, of different theories on this. You know, astronomy is really an amazing subject if you get into it. Not the astrology part of it, but the astronomy part of it. You know, the universe that God created is just unbelievable. Uh, I love going out to camping and, and just looking up at the stars. And you get up into Canada and just no lights and, you know, out there on a lake. And, and just, it's unbelievable. You can actually see the, the Milky Way, the, the gathering of the stars kind of, you know, throughout the sky. It's just unbelievable. Now, some people look up in the sky and say, well, that's just a bright star. But I tend to lean toward, you know, that God uses his universe. And I think this is what's happening here. I think God is using his universe for his glory and his majesty. These guys looking at, you know, uh, they were, they're actually looking at two stars. And, and what scholars really, you know, some scholars say, not all scholars, but some scholars say that uh, they were looking at Saturn and Jupiter and entering into the constellation um, uh, Pisces. And these two stars slash Planets, we would call them planets, they would call them stars, um, you know, only came together every 800 years. And in the year 7 BC, it occurred three different times traveling across the sky. Basically what it was is they had this, the, this idea, this understanding. And again, this is just a theory, but I'm trying to give you, you know, a different perspective on this. That um, when, uh, you know, going across this Pisces, if you enter into that constellation, that means a great king was going to be born. And if this other star came, it was going to be the greatest king to ever live. So these guys kind of had this theory going and this understanding. And you can go back and research this from other writings outside of uh, outside the Bible and stuff. So, so some scholars believe that this is what they're thinking about. They've been told these stories from the time of Daniel. And now they were actually seeing it. And these guys were wise enough to know that it was important. And they traveled hundreds of miles. It was imp- and these guys were important enough that they actually got an audience with, with the king when they entered into that province. That's an amazing thing. Now Herod the Great is, you know, got his position because he had good connections. As soon as he got his power, he gathered all the nobility together and he killed them all off. That way no one could, no one could usurp his authority. No one could challenge him at all. Uh, you know, he had ten wives. By the time he, uh, he died, he had killed most of them. You know, you think that that only happened with King Henry, what, the eighth or something like that? No. This happened way back. He murdered his, you know, his son five days before he died. Because he was feeling bad, and he didn't want his son to accidentally take over, or not accidentally, but on purpose take over. So he killed his son, and then he died. 
So, I mean, this is, this is a man that is kind of screwed up in the head. So when the Magi showed up, and I love the scripture here, it says, uh, when King Herod heard, that, uh, heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. And like I've already said, the reason, uh, reason why they were all disturbed is because they knew that this guy was just wacko. And the Magi have no clue what is, what is going on, but they just get the sense that something is up with this guy. And this sly old fox, this, this King Herod is, is telling them, well, when you find them, just, just come back and tell me. I just want to go and worship them. You know, I'd just like to meet them. So they follow this star, and it appears, appears right over Bethlehem, and they ask around, and they find out the story about the, the you know, boy named Jesus. So how bizarre would this be? For Joseph and Mary. I mean, it's already been a bizarre for them. I mean, they, you know, their life has totally changed with the shepherds coming. Just And, and you know, when the, when the shepherds come in the town, you know, people are talking. And, and they're probably semi-celebrities somewhat. And whether that was good or bad, we, we don't know. We just There's not enough scripture to, to talk about that. But how bizarre would this be? Here they're just living. And then... You know, the day, you know, the day and day in and day out routine things of, of feeding, changing diapers and whatever they had for diapers back then and, and you know, cooking and cleaning and, and working to be able to support yourself. All this is just going on. And here comes this caravan of magi with their camels coming through town. Mary's probably cooking and taking care of raising the child, and Joseph is probably out in his courtyard working and, and uh, you know, probably working with, with wood and stone, being a carpenter. He probably handed that down to Jesus. He's called a carpenter. He probably learned that from, from you know, his earthly father, in quotes, if you want to call him that. Uh, you know, we know he was not of uh, uh, Joseph, but Joseph was his earthly father, earthly dad that took care of him. And here you have baby Jesus probably just running around, being a toddler. Probably didn't go through the terrible twos. I'm going, please let my child be like Jesus. Love that. But this caravan shows up, and a lot of people, and all this stuff would take place, you know, that you would take with you on a, a long trip. I mean, there's just camels just coming on through. I can imagine Mary being a typical person in charge of the house. Joseph, the house is a mess. Don't invite him in. I don't have enough food. Look at all the people. Because in that culture, you would somebody shows up, you took care of them. You didn't just, hi, come in, see you later. You, know. you, you invited them in like they were family. Can you imagine all the neighbors and the questions? Um, can you get them to move their camels? They're kind of parked in front of my house. And they go straight for this child, and they bow down, and they worship him. They didn't stop. They just knew who to worship. And he is not even their king. He's called the king of the Jews. But the Jews were looking for this political king. The, the Jews were, were looking for, for somebody who come, would come in for, you know, on the white horse and, and be able to, to take care of Rome and throw Rome off their back in a sense. You know, a mighty and powerful, you know, soldier. That's what kind of king they were looking for. The political savior from the Romans. And these strangers show up and worship this little boy. Why did they do this? Well, over the years, they had studied the scripture. As, as they had been wise, as they were, were learned people, they were studying the scripture. That's why it's so important for us to, to study the word. And if you see the movie, uh, 
the nativity, the wise men were hilarious and, you know, brings a humanness to them. Because we put, you know, we put these things of God on, on pedestals and, and we forget that they were just, you know, being used by God. We, we, we go, man, this person, oh man, they, they must be really special. God's using them. Well, we're all special to God. And God uses us for different things. So, so let's not put people up on pedestals at all. You know, we kind of look at it and go, oh, these are, these are wise men. No, there were guys being used by God. But they realized that this boy was not just a king, but God himself forever and ever. God himself coming down to this earth, not a political king. They came to worship the God of the universe. When the ones who should have known about this had completely missed it. They were too busy studying. They were too busy searching the scriptures and and doing the right things and following the letter to the law and not really understanding the law, but knowing that they needed to do this, this, step one, two, and three. Why do we do that? I don't know. That's just the way we do it. Instead of really understanding the law, they didn't recognize the truth when it showed up. And these magi looking for the truths of the universe came and worshiped. They're the ones that should not have known about this. And they bring the most expensive of gifts that you could give at that time. And Joseph, you know, is set up. Set up to follow the instructions of the Lord. And they just take off. They go running that night for for Egypt. God's precious timing and God's precious provision here. Herod comes and and kills all the the kids that they could find. and, and, And these guys weren't there. Lord, I can imagine. Lord, how am I supposed to run? I don't have any money. And these guys show up with gold and frankincense and myrrh. And and frankincense and myrrh, you know, these things could be sold for, I mean, these were highly valued, you know, uh, scents and, and, um, you know, different things that would be used in society. And these things could be sold for a lot of money. And when the Spirit gives them a dream and tells them to leave, why does he go? Why does he take his family and go? Because it was a pattern in Joseph and Mary's life. And I think this is important for us to understand. We always wonder, how can we, how can we get to that next level in a sense? How, can we, how do you become a mature Christian? You start out building patterns. You start out following God's instructions. You start out listening to Him. And then when He talks to you and you recognize His voice, maybe it's through Scripture, Maybe it's through a godly person come to you and confirming something you've read in the Scripture. And you're sitting there going, okay, maybe God's trying to tell me something. But you begin this pattern of following God's instructions. And then when you hear His voice, you're like, I really need to do this. And that's what, that's what Joseph does. He really needs to do this. He recognizes God's you know, provision for him. He recognizes God's voice and he does it. He follows God. He recognizes Him. Because he's been faithful to him since Jesus' birth. And we often forget this. We wonder, how does God work? How does God speak and, and teach us? And if God has spoken to us in the past, look for that same pattern in your life. You get to it, you go, wait, I recognize this. And this is what Joseph is doing. He's recognizing God. So we end up with King Herod sweeping in to to kill all the children and Joseph and Mary are gone and the story has been told thousands and thousands of times. And we wonder, what does it mean for you and I today? What do we do with this? Where do I go with this? What do we take from it? 
we're left with this cute little manger scene. Whether it's the Precious Moments one, or whether it's the Costco version, or whatever, you know, the manger scene that we all love to have and, and want to, you know, you're like, oh man, I, I really like that one. I want to buy that one. And we put it out for people to see. Yet there's something greater than just a scene. It's interesting that of all the people who were looking for the Messiah, they were too busy maintaining their religious institution, too busy maintaining their, their place in society, too busy you know, studying to become smarter than the person next to them, too busy in their religious activity to recognize when God shows up, much less be touched by Him. They thought that through their reason and intellect, that they could obey God's laws well enough to please Him. Their idea was, if I just know enough, if I just do enough, then God will love me the most. And when God showed up, they didn't even recognize He was there. The other people understood the, the, you know, that reading the Scripture was not just about getting smarter, because there was truth involved in this. There was something that, that was greater to be attained by this. And I think that we forget about the truth. Often we, we study about the Bible and we talk about truth, but, you know, did you know what I, what I learned? And this is just really neat. We often forget that, that we are supposed to take the Scriptures and implement them into our daily life. We're supposed to take them and, and, and start working with them and start going, wow, I did this and I shouldn't have done that because the Scriptures say this, so how can I change my life in this area and slowly work on it one step at a time? This is the guidebook of how we are supposed to live, of how to please the baby who is God, who grows up to die for our sins. We're so you know, busy learning about that that sometimes we forget about the, our part of the doing. We have to live it out in our lives. The Scriptures point their way to God. And if we look to God, we will find Him. It's not just about the knowledge. The knowledge is good, but we've got to use the knowledge. This Christmas, do you expect God to show up? Do you expect God to show up in Congress or Washington, D.C.? Or how about the big churches? How about here? I would say yes to all of those because He cares enough about us to step off the throne in heaven to come down here and to meet you and I. That's what He cares about. The amazing part of the Christmas story, it's not about just a cute little baby. Not just about that. I mean, I have one of those. And he is cute. But it's stepping, you know, it's about God stepping off his throne and saying, Alan, I want to meet with you and you alone and put your name in there. Would God be here? The answer is yes. Just to meet with you. Just to be with you. And all the hustle and bustle all the holidays. And all the, the gift wrapping and getting the meals ready. And is Aunt Susie coming over? Or is this person coming over? Or where we're we going? And, and all that stuff that goes on in the holidays. 
If you look for Jesus, you will find him in the most amazing places. Will you look for him this year? Will you actually look for him this year? Will you look for him to, to be a part of, of your family celebration? Will you look for him in, in your mealtime? Will you look for him when you're, when you're out buying presents and that one person needs just the right word, the right conversation? Will you look for him? What is amazing is that if you want to find Christ, he can be found. All you have to do is start searching. That's all you have to do. If your heart is hungry... Look for Him. He will reveal Himself. He wants to touch your life. He wants a relationship with you. Beyond the book knowledge. Beyond the following the laws or following what's right. I know what's right and I know what's wrong. I do what's right. Go beyond that. He wants to develop that relationship that can change your life forever. Look for Him this season. Let's pray. Lord, I pray that, that we not only look for you, that we find you. That throughout this holiday season, that, that we actually take the baby out of the manger. That we actually take the baby out of the story. And we remember that that baby grew up and went to the cross and died for our sins. that we develop a relationship beyond just the knowledge, beyond the the wonderful stories, beyond the thank you, Jesus, but to a point where we say, Jesus, would you want me to do this in my life? Or Jesus, would you not want me to do this in my life? I pray, Lord, that you awaken the Holy Spirit in our lives to the point where, where we're finding Jesus in places that we never thought he would be. But most of all, Lord, I pray that this Christmas is just so special for everyone here. That you come down and touch our lives in such a way that we remember the Christmas of 2010 as a year that God spoke with us. As a year that I looked and turned and saw God. As a year that I started developing patterns where I recognized you in my life, Lord. Now the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord's face shine down upon you. When you open up your heart, when you're opening up your eyes and search for Him, He will be there. May His face never turn from you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.